the podcast where we break down trending discussions in the world of health, science, and technology. This podcast is proudly created by Project Tomorrow, a student-led Canadian nonprofit based right here in Vancouver. We're your hosts for today. I'm Ava. And I'm Jerry. If you've listened to our first episode, you'll know that our colleague Adrian is also involved in hosting and producing this podcast, so you'll likely hear his voice and others on future episodes as we jump on and off hosting annotated. Before jumping in, just a quick reminder to subscribe to our podcast and follow our Instagram at Annotated Podcast to get all the latest. So Ava, in in your first episode with Adrian, you guys talked about the four different types of vaccines that are currently available in Canada. So those are the Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna, Oxford-AstraZeneca, as well as Johnson & Johnson. And so in this episode, um, I think, you know, we agreed that we wanted to explore some of the questions that a lot of people have regarding these vaccines. And I just wanted to let everyone know um, all our information presented that or that we're going to present today um, is taken from, you know, reputable sources such as the CDC, the European Medical Agency or Medicines Agency, the Government of Canada, the WHO, as well as kind of reputable news sources. And also keep in mind that this information and the research is being updated almost daily, um, that we are recording this on March 20th, and that if you want the most updated information, you probably want to check um, online with your kind of local health authority or uh, news sources. Right. So why don't we start off with a basic question here? So what are vaccines useful for? What does it protect you against? The answer to this question would be, of course, many different things, such as getting sick, from being hospitalized, dying, and ultimately stopping the pandemic altogether. I think it's great that you mentioned a lot of those metrics, because I think a common perception for vaccines is that we really just want them to prevent us getting sick. But looking at hospitalizations and stopping the pandemic in general and how vaccines can help with that is, you know, something that's really important. The other kind of question that I think we should start off with that's, you know, really kind of basic and uh, is the underlying foundation of how vaccines work is really the process for how we get a vaccine to be approved and to get to market. Right. That's a good question. So it first starts off with an exploratory and discovery stage. Then it goes into preclinical trials, which is animal testing and lab work. Then it moves on to human trials, which occurs over three different stages. Then we have regulatory approval, manufacturing, and distribution. And that will lead us to where we are today, pretty much. So, you know, you listed kind of a bunch of steps. Um, And I think, you know, when people hear that, and, you know, vaccines have generally taken five, ten years to develop historically. Right. You know, it's kind of a, a very obvious question to ask, you know, are these vaccines safe? You know, they've taken years to develop, and this one has taken, you know, maybe less than a year. So are these safe? And and why has the COVID vaccines, uh, why have they been developed so fast? Yeah. So the reason why the COVID vaccine has been able to be developed under a year is, of course, because of international efforts. So we have researchers across the world who are all working together to create the vaccine. On top of that, we have advancements in medicine and technology. Increased funding is a huge part of this. And this has basically come together to allow us to develop this COVID-19 vaccine much faster. And I think in relation to kind of the process for the vaccines, uh, kind of the development that you talked about previously, I think another aspect of it is kind of stacked developmental processes. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, before perhaps you or companies might have waited for regulatory approval before starting their manufacturing. Um, You know, in today's kind of world of COVID, 
Uh, you know, many companies are starting their manufacturing, uh, you know, figuring out the logistics for the distribution long before any regulatory approval has actually happened. Um, just, it, you know, to kind of save that time uh, to get these vaccines out the door as fast as possible. The other uh, kind of question that's, you know, really kind of basic is, you know, what are the different types of vaccines that we have, uh, especially approved in Canada right now? And I know you and Adrian talked about this in our last episode. Yeah, so the two different types of vaccines that we have approved in Canada right now are viral vector-based vaccines and mRNA vaccines. So Moderna and Pfizer are both mRNA vaccines, whereas AstraZeneca and Janssen are viral vector vaccines. So what they do essentially is they allow our body to create a marker for the COVID virus to train our immune response. And of course, if you want to know more about this and the different types of vaccines in greater detail, you can be sure to check out our first episode, which is live now. And we discuss this um, in more specifics. So, you know, another thing that I, I know you guys discussed in the first episode was really uh, kind of about vaccine efficacy. So, you know, what does percent efficacy you know, really mean? Yeah. So what percent efficacy means is basically how well the vaccine protects vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. So for example, in clinical trials for vaccine efficacy, how this works is you would divide people into groups who were vaccinated and those who were not. And researchers would then measure the percentage of people who ended up contracting COVID-19 in the unvaccinated group versus those who were vaccinated. So let's say we had 100 people in the unvaccinated group that contracted COVID-19 versus, let's say, zero people in the vaccinated group, what percent efficacy would that would that come out to? Yeah, so in this situation, we would say that there is 100% efficacy for that particular vaccine. Another example would be if 50 people contracted COVID in both groups, we would say that the vaccine has 0% efficacy. Right, okay. You know, va vaccine efficacy is really a big topic these days. And um, I, I think this has been really spurred on by the fact that, you know, AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson have a, a seemingly markedly lower efficacy rate than that of, you know, Pfizer, BioNTech, as well as um, Moderna. You know, those have efficacy rates um, in kind of the 90%, 94 95%. Um, while the uh, AstraZeneca, as well as Johnson & Johnson, you know, they're more in the 60s. Um, and so when we, when the public kind of looks at them and when we look at them initially, you know, it seems really different. Right. Um, and it seems like the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines are, you know, maybe less good, for lack of a better word, um, than the other ones. Uh, but I think, you know, one thing that you guys mentioned that I think was really important in the last episode was that, you know, these studies have really been conducted at different time points and at different locales. So you know, the involvement of variants in these uh, clinical trials, as well as, you know, just the world of COVID in general, when these clinical trials actually took place were, you know, markedly different. So I think it's really hard to kind of put them head to head. I would just note for everyone, I think that the conclusion of the last episode, uh, I think was really important. And that's something we talked about, you know, again, in the beginning here, but we talked about um, using hospitalizations um, as a metric, right? Yes. And uh, the clinical trials um, that have been conducted for you know many of these vaccines uh, have really been successful in showing that hospitalizations um, and mortality um, due to COVID nineteen can really be curved by these vaccines. So I think that's 
um, a really important metric that, you know, we need to be paying more attention to. Yeah, I definitely agree that that's something really important for us to focus in on. And for those who are unable to get vaccinated, and we can discuss the reasons for this later on, it's really important that we can achieve herd immunity. And so what percentage of the population needs to be vaccinated in order to get this herd immunity? Right. So so for those that don't know, herd immunity is really defined as basically whenever you have a large part of the population that's, you know, immune to a disease, you know, whether that be COVID-19 or or other diseases like flu or SARS or whatever. Um, and I think the number that we talk about typically when we're talking about herd immunity is really called the herd immunity threshold. So that's the percent of the population that is immune uh, to the disease that will allow the protection of people who are without immunity. So essentially what you're doing is lowering the amount of virus or the viral load in the population that can be spread around. So by doing that, you're essentially protecting those that can't be immunized. And Ontario Public Health actually made a statement in January 2021 where they estimated that 53 to 84% of Canada's population would need to be vaccinated in order to achieve this herd immunity. And I think that uh, ties in pretty well with, you know, several of the other publications that, you know, you and I both looked at in terms of um, estimating population, uh, the percent of population that, that, you know, we need to meet herd immunity. I think those have put them around 40 to 90%. So, you know, that quite well matches uh, the numbers that come out of that report from Ontario. Um, and I will just mention also, though, that even though these numbers are kind of out there, the actual herd immunity threshold, so that population percent number, is you know still quite hard to pinpoint. And a lot more research needs to be done, and a lot more comprehensive research needs to be done to really uh, get that number. Right. And so when we speak about the population that has to be vaccinated, it's important that we discuss, you know, how does this distribution of vaccines work in Canada? Vaccine distribution is, you know, a collaboration between federal and provincial governments. So um, the federal government does most of the purchasing um, as, you know, they have a bigger purchasing power. They can purchase for the entire country. Um, but after the vaccines actually get to Canada, they're distributed to each of the provincial governments who then distribute them to Canadians. Right. So what we want to talk about next is another really common question, which is when will I get my vaccine and can I choose which vaccine to get? So right now in BC, the vaccine is being distributed in phases and we are currently immunizing seniors, Indigenous peoples, and people who live and work independently. Generally, priority groups get the vaccine first, then it goes eldest to youngest in terms of age. But it's important to check your provincial website for the latest information about when you would be receiving your vaccine. And when we're talking about vaccines, people want to know what the side effects are of the vaccines. So I know, Jerry, you have received your vaccine, so maybe you can tell us a bit more about this. Yeah, so just generally... Um, the side effects of the vaccine um, can last, you know, a few hours to a few weeks, um, kind of depending on what those side effects are. Um, but some of them are um, kind of fever, chills, fatigue, headache, muscle aches, joint pain, um, or some kind of redness or soreness at the injection site. You know, these are all things that you might have already experienced if you got the annual flu vaccine or kind of other vaccines in the past. Other kind of side effects uh, that are a lot more rare may include fevers above 40 degrees Celsius or more of a swelling or an itchy rash where the injection site was. Um, and, a, and a really, really rare kind of side effect is anaphylaxis. So that's getting an allergic reaction to the vaccine. Um, and this would typically occur shortly after the vaccine is administered. So 
you know, as Ava mentioned, I did get my vaccine. I got the Pfizer one here in BC. Um, and the vaccine process is that, you know, you get your vaccine. It takes, you know, five seconds for them to jab a needle in you and give you the vaccine. But, you know, you're required to wait there for like 15 minutes. And a lot of that is to kind of monitor you to make sure that you don't get that anaphylaxis reaction. Right. So in terms of a personal anecdote, for me, when I got the vaccine, I basically just had a sore arm for, you know, a day. And there, that basically was it in terms of my side effects. So I didn't have many of these and it was, you know, relatively fine. But if you are worried, just make sure to contact your health provider or even look up some of these side effects um, online at your local government's websites. Yeah. And speaking of concerns, a common question that we see being asked right now is, does AstraZeneca cause blood clots? Right. So, you know, if, you know, I've been kind of making sure that I'm keeping up with the news, but the information on this seems to be constantly changing. You know, I see, you know, one day uh, they're reporting that it doesn't, and, you know, it's been kind of disproven. And uh, the next day they're like, oh, maybe there might be a link. So, so what's the newest on that information right now? So right now what we see is that German and Norwegian scientists found a link from AstraZeneca vaccine to very rare blood clots. For example, there were 25 cases of rare blood clots out of the 20 million AstraZeneca shots that were given. So the current EMA statement is that the COVID-19 vaccine AstraZeneca is not associated with an increased overall risk of clotting disorders. And I think that's the really important takeaway here. Right. So again, the EMA is the European Medicines Agency. And as Ava very pointedly said, uh, even though there there is kind of or there might be this link between AstraZeneca and these side effects of these blood clots that you know have been all over the news, um, the kind of official statement um, for everyone is that it doesn't increase or the vaccine does not increase the overall risk for blood clotting. Right. So, you know, that that's for kind of people, I think, a really good list of side effects and considerations for people who, you know, will be getting the vaccine. But Ava, who shouldn't be getting the vaccine? So this is a good question. When it comes to Moderna, Janssen, and AstraZeneca, they've been approved for only those who are over the age of 18 because the safety has yet to be evaluated in those who are younger than 18. However, Pfizer is actually for those who are 16 years and older. So right now, if you're between the ages of 16 to 18, you would be getting vaccinated with Pfizer. And another really important point here is that it's safe to be vaccinated if you are pregnant or planning to become pregnant in the future, because there is currently no evidence that antibodies from the COVID-19 vaccine would cause any problems with pregnancy. So what about those with underlying medical conditions, though? Right. So if you do have an underlying medical condition, you can still be vaccinated. In the clinical trials for a lot of the vaccines, they actually use people who did have underlying medical uh, concerns. So as a result of this, it has been proven that, yes, if you have an underlying medical condition, it is safe to be vaccinated. So speaking of people who cannot be vaccinated, just to backtrack for a second here, if you are currently sick with COVID-19, you cannot be vaccinated until you've made a full recovery. Additionally, if you have an allergy to an ingredient in the vaccine, you should also not get that particular vaccination. So if you're interested in seeing the list of ingredients, it is posted online under Health Canada. But if you have any concerns here, of course, discuss with your healthcare provider and they can get it all sorted out for you. So as you mentioned, Ava, those that are currently sick with COVID-19 can't be vaccinated until they've made a full recovery. So, you know, after they've made a full recovery, you know, the question really is, 
do they still need a vaccine? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we know that vaccines are basically to try to get our immune system to uh, kind of get used to COVID-19 uh, as a virus and know how to fight it. But, you know, if they've already gotten the virus, do they still need it? So the answer to this question is yes, reinfection is possible. So as a result, it is safest to be vaccinated even if you have contracted and then recovered from COVID-19 in the past. There are also concerns right now surrounding the transmission and if transmission is possible when you get a vaccine. And this is a really important question. So, Jer, if you want to comment on this one. Right. So, you know, there is some evidence that points to vaccines being able to curb transmissions. Uh, transmission of COVID-19, that is. And, you know, that's been coming out. New research has been coming out, you know, every single day. But currently, that evidence isn't that strong. And I think most experts will agree that more studies really need to be done to kind of say that in a concrete fashion. So that the recommendations, you know, at this point in time uh, from public health, uh, especially here in Canada and here in BC, are that people should still follow all social distancing measures. And you should definitely make sure to check your local government uh, in terms of, you know, what those requirements would be. So for those that are asking, you know, do I need a mask and do I need to socially distance after getting the vaccine? Again, the answer is yes. Even after getting the vaccine, you should be practicing all social distancing and mask wearing mandates. And as Ava said, you know, you could still potentially pass the virus on to others who are not yet vaccinated. So make sure to follow those guidelines. And another essential question here is how long after getting the vaccine do people have immunity and how long is that immunity going to last for? So this was definitely a question that I had after I got my vaccine. You know, me and my colleagues uh, were kind of joking that we should uh, just go out um, and we could do whatever we wanted after getting it. But, you know, again, that's not true, as we talked about already. But in terms of this question, some experts are saying that the initial protection of the vaccine really is only conferred after probably 7 to 14 days. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this can weaken over time. So it is necessary if you're taking the AstraZeneca, Pfizer, or Moderna vaccines to get that second dose uh, when you're supposed to. But I know that second dose timing has been kind of a little all over the place, right, Ava? Yeah, definitely. So the second dose timing has been extended in many places, including Canada. And so given our short vaccine supply, we're just trying to make sure that everyone gets that first initial dose, and then we're going to be following up with those second dosages. So what's important right now is just to follow your local recommendations about when the second dose is to be administered. And to answer the other question about how long does that immunity last for, at this time, it is currently unknown how long the vaccine will last for. However, we are constantly having more research, so we will just have to wait and see. So the last question we have for this episode is regarding variants. Uh, when looking at, you know, CBC or the news sources, you know, we've seen experiments and reports going back and forth regarding vaccine efficacy regarding these variants. I think the two probably most famous ones are the UK variant, which is B117, as well as the South African variant, which is B1351. Yeah, and the differences that we're seeing in this information are likely attributed to the different types of experiments that are being conducted, the sample sizes, the study design. There are just so many variables that could be contributing here. However, what is accepted is that these vaccines are still generally effective at keeping people out of the hospital. And at the end of the day, that is what's most important. So again, really, this is the same conversation that we had um, regarding vaccine efficacy. So, you know, looking at those metrics of hospitalizations and mortality, 
you know, Ava, it's been over a year since the WHO has declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. And I'm sure you feel as well as many others, um, kind of that COVID fatigue has set in. And I think at that point, you know, sometimes we forget the real consequences of what an increased amount of hospitalizations and deaths can do, you know, when we're overwhelming the hospital system. And so even though the efficacies of these vaccines regarding these variants seem to be changing constantly as new research does come out, what we do know is that these vaccines keep people around the world out of the hospital and they keep people alive. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening and we'll be sure to keep you updated on all the latest news in our upcoming episodes. Be sure to subscribe to Annotated wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to let us know what we should talk about next, give us a shout on our Instagram at Annotated Podcast. See you soon.